we're still looking through the eyes of whatever memory we got pulled into and we're viewing our current circumstances in our environment with the same beliefs, with the same, same thoughts, the same affect, everything is the same. So in essence, it's, it's like a perception disorder. And we don't know that that's happened until later we snap out of it and we get present again. And then we say things like, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I, I, I relapsed again. I don't know why I felt so motivated this morning and now I woke up. And it's because we're bouncing back and forth all day from the present into our memory network and we're not aware that that's happening. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today um, we are going to be tackling an extremely, extremely important topic, um, especially during these times. We're going to be talking a lot about mental health, and I am here um, with Dr. Michaela, who is a licensed psychotherapist, brain training, and mindset expert, certified EMDR specialist, which we're definitely going to get into, and just somebody who's extremely passionate about helping others um, become the best version of themselves, um, and I can just tell from the conversation her and I have already had before we hopped on that she is just someone special in this field that you're going to want to follow. You're going to want to check out um, when we get done because she really digs deep into a lot of the root causes of the behaviors, of the traumas, of the mindsets that we have. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to her and getting her insight on not only, you know, how you can continue to grow on your healing journey, but how you can kind of start one and some things we can do in real time during this pandemic. So uh, Dr. Michaela, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I want to get into something that we were chatting about before, because I could just tell you were kind of flowing with, with the conversation that I think people need to understand. And that is, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk now about healing and trauma and uh, stress and all that stuff. And I, we were talking about, I said, you know, I think a lot of people, they get it twisted. They're like, all right, I'm healed. That's it. I'm done. And I was like, I think the opposite. I think that we're never healed and we're always working. And the moment you think you have nothing to work on is the moment that you pretty much things will start to fall apart. So you said that we're evil. We're either in survival mode or we're on the journey. So what did you mean by that? And what's the difference between the two? Survival mode is when it's, we're stuck, you know, and, and, and that's, we can get into that, you know, that, which is most people are kind of stuck. We're in our, we're stuck in our memory network, essentially. We're survival mode, but the journey is, it's so much more than just healing. And then we, we look at what, why we're here, what our, what our purpose is, what is that, what does it all mean? How does meaning play a role in our lives? How do we feel fulfilled? What is, what does wholehearted actually mean? We start looking at the deeper um, constructs of life and what life is and happiness. Then we start looking at, is it just healing or is it, um, is it learning about not only why we're here, which is in our own right, what, what, how we make sense of that or the meaning of that, why we're here, um, how our, our past play a role in that, what we have to give. Um, what we have to teach, how one views purpose. And so you can see that's a, that's a journey and it's an amazing journey and it's certainly better than being in survival mode. I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's this whole notion that, um, that we're not fixable and that the way we are, we, the way we're born is the way we are. And I think so many people get kind of trapped in that because we've been kind of taught that, in a way, some people are like, well, you can't change that person or you can't change. And we're like caught like being like, well, what's the point? But like, I think I, at least for myself, I'm living proof. I'm sure a lot of your clients and yourself is living proof that with the right, you know, coping mechanisms, the right strategies, the right, you know, work that people can change their behaviors. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Um, and it goes so much deeper than that. I was watching, you know, listening to your story, you know, but you know, before we met today and you know, when you, you look at addictions, and that's really where I started was uh, working in um, addiction treatment facilities. Um, and 
it, you know, working in, in probably the majority of them in Orange County and seeing that, okay, so we've got, you know, addictions, we've got all these, um, these patients that are, you know, we're giving cognitive behavioral therapy treatment, but what is the relapse rate and why is it so high and why are we still using the same approach? Mm. And it just didn't seem um, fulfilling to just to teach people how to manage their lives. Now I'm all for um, when it comes to AAA, if it works for people, then it works for people. And that's great. Personally, I don't, um, and I don't put my own values on my clients, but in this dialogue, in this context, I don't believe, and based on what I've learned about the brain and the psyche, is that what we believe ourselves to be is what we're going to be. And if we embrace that we are something for the rest of our lives, we will be that because the ego isn't going to be wrong. That's why mm -hmm. it's an ego. So, you know, having worked in addictions and then going through, um, you know, trying to change uh, the, the model, they weren't having that. And that's really what put me on that journey to figure out so many of us have survived things. And it just seems, un it felt unfair to, to go through these childhood, um, you know, traumas or, you know, and, and get ourselves to a place where we've, you know, we've found a way to function in life and we think we've figured out life, but yet we're still kind of stuck with these, these um, triggers or, you know, these insecurities and, it, it just doesn't seem like a fair payoff. And I wanted to really figure out there's gotta be a way to get through that stuff and come out of it without all the residue still. There's gotta be better ways, better approaches. Um, we, we've gotta be missing something. Mm. Yeah, we're gonna get into that in a second because I definitely wanna talk about your modalities and your approach. But I just, I wanna first off say, you know, I appreciate the kind words about the story. And also I didn't, I agree with you. I didn't go to AA. And then one of my biggest, I have a ton of people who I know, colleagues and friends who are, who went through the program and I have nothing against it. The one thing I'll say is you get labeled an addict every time you go in there. Hey, my name is so-and-so and I'm an addict. And I, I, I agree with you. You believe what you are. If you believe you're an addict, you're going to be an addict. And for me, addiction was part of my story. It's not my entire story, right? Mm -hmm. It was definitely a, a, an important role. I, I definitely learned a lot. I'm very thankful for that portion of my journey. Um, and I just also think that we have to get to the root cause. I personally believe addiction is a result of unprocessed trauma and in a major way. I'm sure there's probably, I mean, other causes in, in various cases. I'm not, I'm not an expert. It's just my personal opinion, but I know from my own experience that I was self-medicating from, from trauma, from, you know, abuse through growing up in a divorced home, like all these things that I never dealt with that it was like a bandaid for me and mm -hmm. you have to rip the bandaid off and be like, Ooh, I don't like those. I don't like what I'm seeing and, and do the work right. And get to their underlying causes and build new strategies. Because one of the things people say to me is they're like, well, man, you must not have any problems because you're not using drugs anymore. And I'm like, the problems are still there. My memories are still in my brain. I still get stressed out. I still will struggle with anxiety. Whatever. Like it doesn't go away. Just the way I handle it is what has changed. So you talked about like the way, that you're trying your approach with either treating your clients who are struggling with addiction or just people in general, like what is your approach to like doing the work and helping them heal um, on a deeper level? Well, I mean, how this, how this all kind of came about really was, you know, I can go into the approach in terms of um, the brain and the psyche and all that, but you know, even prior to that, Doug, the, this, this all started with, like many therapists with my own life. Mm. And, you know, I was a musician. I had never planned to be a therapist, psychologist. This was never, you know, I was both voted most likely to, to, to go into music. And, but it was, you know, it's funny that the journey that I took and coming to a place in my life where everything, if it was a bad place, I, you know, gotten out of the home and moved on. And you know how we all, we all do that. And I was living in LA and I was, you know, recording and doing the whole music thing. And, and it, all it took was one thing, which can happen to kind of open the floodgates. Cause you know, we all go through this stuff, but I didn't really think it was all that bad. Uh, I just figured it just was what it was. Um, but it took a breakup and I crumbled unusually hard and um, devastated it. I mean, just to the point where I had lost all hope. I didn't want to live anymore. And I, and I remember thinking, 
was he really that great <laughs> that I, you know, that I, I don't want to, you know, even be here anymore. And it, but I, you know, had gotten so low in, in my level of, of hope that I had devised a plan. And you tell me if I'm getting off track, but this is such a huge part of well, how no, I, I want you to, I, this is awesome because a, I think a lot of people, they look at therapists like, Ooh, like they've never experienced anything I've went through. And B, this is like real time, like what happens. This is real time, like some of the exact emotions and reactions that cause people to get to downward spiral into addiction or anything else. So yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like many people, I had all these traumas that I didn't realize really the level of, of trauma that it was. And, um, and we don't usually growing up because our brain logicalizes for us. Um, we um, dissociate automatically so we've got all these automatic functions to help us get through and we idealize um when we're growing up so you know our brain and our psyche kind of help us through that which is why we come when we get older we're like why why do i have these problems why do i have this addiction it wasn't that bad uh, we go to therapy the therapist can help us uh, traditional therapy help us understand what happened and the impact but it, it still doesn't really change anything just just the knowing so I'd gotten to a, a place in my 20s after that breakup where, like I said, I was just, I was devastated. And, and all, I, the, the level of emotion and devastation did not match. Um, and I had every negative belief you could possibly imagine one could have. I had them all. Hmm. And I remember being in Japan. I I've, uh, bought a one-way ticket to Japan, which is a company in uh, LA. They had this business and I had a friend who she went to Japan every year. She made money um, and she danced. It you know, wasn't anything that I was interested in, but my intention was I, I was going to end my life. And mm. that was how, I was, and I didn't want to give any of the family members that I'd grown up with, I didn't want to give them the satisfaction of knowing it. But I wasn't thinking clearly either. You know, I was so in survival mode. And when I was there, I remember um, I devised a strategy you know, where I really kind of got out of work for the most part. But I was sitting um, in Akasaka one day. I had, I went there with $7 in my pocket. Didn't matter because I wasn't planning on coming back. Um, and I, after a couple months, I realized it was a lot harder to follow through with that plan than I thought it was going to be. And just the days kept traveling. But I remember thinking, gosh, every th negative thing I, am, I believe are none of those beliefs did I actually, um, did I develop myself? In other words, everything I believe came from someone. Mm. Every single thing I believe came from this adult and this event and this thing. And I, it was just, it was an epiphany, literally. And I thought, God, what do I believe? And this literally, because I had to track at one point after speaking again, uh, event, how did I do, how did I get here? And I thought, what do I believe? If I have any influence, what do I believe? And they were all completely based on the kind of person that I am, was, am. And so I started going down this list and thinking, God, you know, if, if I were to take out all of the people and I knew that they were all extremely unhealthy, so it wasn't even a question, which I think is, is part of the journey for a lot of people because they see their caregivers, their family, they see them through the eyes of a child because children idealize and it's mm. part of our memories. But I was, they were so unhealthy, Doug, that I, it wasn't, a, it was easy <laughs> for me. And so when so you I, say unhealthy, when you say unhealthy, what do you mean? I mean, I think, because I think like a lot of people, they throw terms, you hear terms like unhealthy, you hear, see, see things like toxic and you see things like trauma and like people, I think just see it and they might put it into their own words. So like at, from a therapeutic perspective, what did, what do you mean looking back now as unhealthy? Um, unhealthy. So, you know, if I were to um, describe in short the adults that I grew up with, neither of them were um, biological parents, but mm. just all of them, um, schizophrenia, undiagnosed schizophrenia, borderline personality, um, a lot of them, you know, manipulative behaviors, a lot of lying, a lot of, um, um, there was a lot of abuse, physical abuse, mm. verbal, sexual. I mean, just almost every trauma. And it was just so twisted. Mm. And it was across, it was all of them. And so it was, it was really easy for me to, to be able to see that. Yes. All right. Yeah. So that's, that paints a good picture, I think, for the audience to say, to see, like, when you see stuff like unhealthy and whatever, like, 
this is like kind of like, you know, as she's describing, like when people, what I'm hearing you say is that when you have someone who's torn you down or maybe abuse you or whatever in your life, if you look at it, if you can take a step back and look at them like in a bigger picture and saying, is this person healthy or not? Is this true or not? Are these beliefs I'm creating internal or external, right? Because I believe that our identity gets hijacked sometimes based on the belief and like words that others say about us. Right. So like, um, I think it's interesting you bring this up, but go ahead. So like you're in Japan, you're, you've pretty much decided that you're not going to end your life, that you are going to keep moving forward, that the people that have, right. Yeah. Well, that epiphany, it was, wasn't until that moment that it, it just changed everything for me that, um, that I, I, in, in, in a sense, separated every single thing. It wasn't like I had five things I negative. It was every, every, my whole world was just, I'm worthless. I don't matter. I'm not good enough. I'm incapable. And I thought this is so weird because none of that, I knew none of that was true. And so, you know, I started to look at that and, and thought if I were to live my life according to what I know, then um, how would my life look then? And I was able to get my passport back, find a way back to LA. And I started living, even though none of those things felt true, I knew logically they were. And I started living, decided consciously I was going to live my life according to what I believed about myself, not about what everyone taught me to believe about myself. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting, you know, perspective and i think one that we all need to do frankly because so much and the reason i say it's interesting is it's not very um well take it's not very well traveled like a lot of people don't do that most Mm -hmm. people spend you know three quarters of their life worrying about what other people are doing what they're saying about them checking on instagram facebook what and I, i i love social media too but it's just the facts are facts like if you think about how many people the depression rates, the anxiety rates, suicide, all these rates that have gone up since the rise of social media. I mean, I'm sure as a therapist, you deal with it too. Like because of people comparing themselves to other people and believing what they say, but believing what they see and, and is said about them. And I think the moment we can like realize that we have responsibility for our own choices, our own behaviors, the way who we surround ourselves with and the things we do on a day-to-day basis, the game over. Because now we're focusing on things we can control. We can't control what others are saying about us. We can't control what others are doing. We can control what, what we are kind of committing to doing for ourselves each day. So you decided to like kind of live for yourself. You decided to kind of go on this journey where you're healing yourself and you're kind of just moving forward. So how did you end up getting into deciding you wanted to be a therapist? Well, it was really, you know, I told myself that if I wasn't um, signed hmm. by a certain age, that I would um, go to school full time. And the only thing I was interested in was psychology because there, there was so much that I wanted to understand about why these adults, all these adults did the things that they did. And I, I went right into a doctor program because my, my logic, and I'm a very logical person was- Me, me too, I'm very like left brain. Yeah, it was very, okay, well, logically, if all of these crazy things that um, I never expected or would never think could ever happen happened, then why could not all of these super amazing things that I would never think would happen also not happen on the other side of the spectrum? So my, my, my spectrum of, of reality was so wide now because if, if on this end to this extent, then why not on this end as well? Anything was possible because impossible things happened already. Yes. Makes sense. So yes, that's why I, you know, that's why I decided to go, you know, in, into the program. And it really was, it was such a, you know, like I said, it was a journey because we're you know, started with addictions, and then I wanted to understand the. I didn't want to just help people manage their lives. I, I just knew there had to be a way, and I didn't know how. But you know, when I left treatment, because I thought I don't, I'm not going to keep doing using this. Approach, I'm gonna to have to go into private practice and took a real leap in doing that with the with the encouragement of the Johnsons um, I started studying the brain and um, came across this very new training for what was called EMDR and mm. um, very few people back then knew about it and still don't to this day but you know took that training and it helped me understand the brain a lot more 
and um, continued to kind of hone my skill in, in that approach, later got certified, et cetera. But after I created like brain training programs and you know, I have a lot of colleagues who are also brain trainers and I started looking at, as we should, is this holding? Our, our people are feeling better, but what about in a year from now? Is this, is this it? And it, it still wasn't to my satisfaction. Some people were, but not everybody was. So what are we missing? And then I started studying a few years later, the psyche. I thought, why aren't we, why aren't we studying the psyche? I mean, we know that it's, it's not tangible. We can't study or measure it like the brain, but it, the psyche, science tells us the psyche exists. We know very little, but we know certain things about the psyche. And that's really was the first big thing that helped me understand, oh, the brain takes orders from the psyche. We need to focus more on the psyche and what, what we do know about it. And, and that really helped and moved me into a whole different type of clientele because I started with addictions and then it was, you know, I worked with, you know, trauma and I worked with personality disorders and, and you name it. And I started getting, um, a lot of clients with DID, uh, which is dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Used to be, you cut in at any time, used to be multiple personality disorder because we used to think we had more than one personality. And then we learned, oh, we have one personality with many parts. But when you work with someone with DID, it, what's amazing is when they get triggered, they dissociate. But when they dissociate, my office can become their childhood bedroom and I can become their aunt or uncle. And that's their reality. Yeah, I, I, I'm not exactly familiar with that. Um, I do know that I worked when I worked in the addiction field, like very intensely as I trained a lot of patients in the, at a treatment center. And I had to pretty, I had to, you know, be um, kind of up to date of what, what, where they were. And um, because it was, it would help me a um, be able to communicate more with their therapist about if something was bugging them during the workout program and be like, be able to connect with them on a more personal level and understand like why they might not want to exercise that day or where they came from. And, you know, the thing that's really fascinating that you, that you go into is, you know, it's more about like the psyche. It's not the brain. Right. So for me, I've been in therapy. I've done a lot of modalities of healing. I mean, obviously I've done therapy, I've done meditation. Um, I've done, uh, breath work, Reiki, like fitness, like, like a lot. Um, but therapy has been something that I've kind of been in and out of. And when I say in and out, like it, it's just different seasons in my life. And it's, it's about finding the right person too, that you connect with and you feel is adding value as a therapist. Cause there's so many people that like, that you can just talk to, you can go in there and they can talk, you can talk to them and you're like, well, I can do that to anybody. If, it, if I get anybody to listen to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if I get anybody to tell me, Oh, just go journal. Like, that's easy. Like I know, I know that. But what mm-hmm. I think is interesting about what you're doing is you're getting into the psyche, you're getting into EMDR, getting into the trauma. So like, what does that work entail? And like, how, like, like, how is that different than like traditional, like cognitive behavioral therapy or going in and talking to, to somebody? Well, I, th- I think it's pretty huge. It, it inspired the, the TEDx talk that I did, which I would yep. want to go and do even better today, but it, it relates to you, it relates to me, it relates to everybody because, you know, with uh, DID, what causes that dissociation is they get triggered, they dissociate, but we all get triggered mm. and we all dissociate. So what's we- it? So I want to real quick, trigger is another word. I actually just wrote a post about it a recent time when I got triggered um, because I think it's an, that's another quote unquote buzz, not buzzword these days. We see the word trigger and some, a lot of people think it's like a bad thing. It's like, no, like it just means that it's like we all have we all have scars, right? We all have scars from our past. We all have things that will never go away completely. It's just how we are able to be aware of them and manage them so that, from my understanding, the triggers become less severe or we're more open to communicate when we do get triggered and know that like it's not like a, a present thing. Typically, when you get triggered, if I understand, understanding correctly, it's not like this thing that bothered you today. It was but something that happened to you in the past and this just reminded you is that would that be correct yeah and and not everybody even can associate or remember you know where in their past it's it's when you have a response a sudden response to something um that makes you think or feel or react out of the context of the current situation Mm. um so it's it's your brain has associated to something unconsciously and you just suddenly have a reaction to it 
but you know, when we miss our exit on the freeway, when you're watching the game and you know, someone's calling your name three or four times and you don't hear them, we all get triggered and we all dissociate at which point then, you know, we're all DID, but on a spectrum, because if, if that's, you know, for, if we all get triggered and we all dissociate, that means that if we, depending on the level of trauma that causes full DID, we've all got trauma too. So what's happening is all day long, we have these unconscious associations that are being made and we're all dissociating. The only difference is we're dissociating into our memory network, just as, just as with DID, but we know where we are. We know who we're with still. However, we're still looking through the eyes of whatever memory we got pulled into and we're viewing our current circumstances in our environment with the same beliefs, with the same, same thoughts, the same affect, everything is the same. So in essence, it's, it's like a perception disorder. And we don't know that that's happened until later we snap out of it and we get present again. And then we say things like, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I, I, I relapsed again. I don't know why I felt so motivated this morning and now I woke up. And it's because we're bouncing back and forth all day from the present into our memory network and we're not aware that that's happening. Mm. Now, would you say that there's, um, there's shame in that? Like, would you say that, there, would you say with clients like that? I mean, I think as anybody, if they act out of character or they act like different than their highest self would normally act, and they you know, flip out on somebody or they say something they shouldn't have said or they, they like when they can't, when things come back to center, they're like, oof, like, why'd I do that? Right. And I think, you know, so I, a that, and then also like, would you say that what's the difference between like just being emotional and getting triggered? Is there a difference? Well, if your feelings or your emotions fit your current reality, which is mm. where you're at, where you're sitting in the room you're in. If it fits, then you're just getting emotional. But everything is tied to our um, memory network. Because right, if right. You, take, you take someone who's, who wakes up in the hospital with amnesia, mm. and they have no memories. That person doesn't have any um, insecurities, any worry, any lack of confidence, any ruminating thoughts. Any, they don't have any, any of those issues because they have no memories to tell them to think and feel that way. So when we are present in the present moment we just feel peace right which tells you how often we're probably present yes you're right and i think so like yeah and i think so would you say that the, would you say if when with clients are coming to you and they get triggered or they get angry or they're like it feels like there's like a hot spot like almost like a burn and they get like like they get jolted and they maybe flip out or they overreact that there's probably some shame because they come back to, and whether they, whether they want to admit it or not, it's hard to admit that, right? Because unless you really have done a lot of work on yourself and healed and you have the confidence about who you are and the self-esteem to be like, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's hard for people to do. And the reason I know is because I've been there and it's been mm -hmm. a long time for me. I mean, I've been on this journey for 11 years now and it hasn't been until the last few years where I can, I, I, I'll admit, you know, I'm, I'm when I'm wrong, you know, a good bit of the time, I'm not always perfect at it, but I have no issue being like, Hey, I was wrong. Or like, um, just no, like putting my stuff out there and being like, I, I'll admit to share some of the stuff, my deepest, darkest secrets with people because I'm so confident with who I am as a person and secure mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter to me. I mean, it, it's like if somebody wants to, to hate me for it or judge me for it, like I accept who they are and judgment is a mirror on them, not on me. So um, getting back to bringing it back, I guess that's just giving you my two cents. So like, okay, you're, you've done the work with DID. You realize that a lot of people are getting, when they get triggered, they come into some identity that's not their, not their own or a, a shifted away from their actual personality. Right. So how has your work with EMDR and everything that you're doing with the psyche, like helped help that? And what have you found has been like a cure or solution for your clientele? Well, I want to address the shame because yes. that's a common thing. We all, um, and I, and I always end up going over this. First of all, people are uncomfortable with the word dissociation. It makes them mm. feel like, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? We all dissociate because we all daydream and that's dissociating. So there, you know, there, there's no shame. And when someone looks back and says, why did I do that? Or I made this mistake, you know, I always remind them that, you didn't do it. 
because when we get triggered, when we're in our addiction, when we're in um, those emotions that are out of the context, we're not present, which means we're in our memory network. We're a different part of our self. Is it our ego or is it still our self? It's still our self, but we have more than one self. This is mm. why we have the language. Um, well, you know, a part of me feels this, but a part of me feels that, or I like mm. this part of this person. And you have to wonder, why do we use this language? How, we, it, we have an internal knowing that we are more than one self. Mm. And we know that about the psyche. So when, we, when a client says, I, you know, I feel bad that I did that, you didn't do it. You were in a part. And it makes sense why that 10-year-old would do that and, and, um, and react that way, right? So there is no shame. And when we look back even on our memories and we judge ourselves, we have to always consider that if you're watching a movie and um, I just waltz into the, into the room and I see the character and I say, oh, that, you know, that guy, he should have you know, he, he's, he's got issues and he just doesn't have willpower or what have you. That wouldn't be fair if I just saw one scene. But if I sat down with you and I watched the whole, you know, six hour series of your life from beginning till end, then it's going to change my opinion of that character in that one scene. And so we always want to consider if we're going to judge ourselves, we can do that, but we should be fair about it. We should judge ourselves based on the entire movie, not just on scenes throughout our lives. I like that. So go ahead. No, I like that a lot. And I think you're right because I think sometimes we, we end up, you're right. Like judging ourselves based on, but we end up judging the movie based on one scene. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have to remember like, there's always like bad chapters in a book. If you read a book that you're not like, Oh man, like every one of those chapters like was my favorite ever. No, like, I mean, certainly there's books where, you know, and few and far between where the, the entire book you couldn't put down, but like most of the time there's like this chapter or two that really resonated with you. And there's some that didn't. And what happens is when we're writing our own book, we have a bad chapter. We have a chapter that might be a little stale and we just take the pencil and we throw it down the sewer drain instead of like being like, you know what? Like that was just one bad chapter. I need to rewrite this thing and keep writing and keep going and just knowing like every bad chapter you know, leads to something greater. And it's a belief system. Exactly. Go ahead. Right? And I was, was going to say, you know, and I think to your point, there's so many people, I would say the majority of people, they'll have one bad day. The one bad day will turn into two, turn into three, turn into four. And then two weeks later, they look back and this one little moment in their life turn into a two week, like, like bender of self-pity. Mm-hmm. And instead of like, bringing back to the self-awareness, bringing back to the present moment, looking at the bigger picture and saying, you know what? Like this one day is a bad day. Tomorrow is going to be different. And so I, I just wanted to, I wanted to also know like EMDR. So like EMDR, it's like, I don't know. It's eye movement, rapid re- uh, reaction. <laughs> Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Oh yeah, I was. I got like two of them, so yeah. I would have failed. <laughs> but uh, what? So what is it? Because I mean, I've I've obviously done a lot of research on it. I've heard about it. It's something I've always wanted to try. Like, what is it, and how is it different than traditional therapy? Traditional talk therapy. The reason why it's we feel good for a day, a week, a month, what have you. It's remember, there's the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. We, the conscious part of us is, you've probably heard the, read the literature, it's it's 5% give or take of all of our responses every day, all of our thoughts every day, all of our um, feelings every day. 95% give or take is our subconscious mind. That's what we're, that's what's directing all of our behaviors. Most people don't even know what's in there. And those rejected memories that get pushed into the subconscious mind, remember those are scenes so we're responding on scenes. It's a, a very unfair operation. What EMDR does is, because the role of the conscious mind is to look and appear normal in society at all times, anytime we have an experience as, as early as, as um, you know, two and three years old, unconsciously, if what we felt about ourselves is negative, then despite what happens automatically, which is we logicalize even children, whatever we felt becomes a truth. And if we felt not good enough, or we felt like we've done something wrong, or we can't trust, now that doesn't help 
the conscious mind to look and appear normal in society at all times. So it gets shoved down to the subconscious mind. Then we go on because we know logically these things aren't true, but that's the whole thing with traditional therapy is all that information is getting into the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And it's like preaching to the choir because we already know these things and we need it to get into the subconscious mind where that's where the, these lies are, these negative beliefs. There's only so many approaches to um, work with or uh, modalities that work with the subconscious mind. Now, if hypnosis, if hypnosis worked, we'd all be cured, mm. in my opinion. I think it works for some people, and I think it works for some people for a reason. But if we found something like that that was um, working to that extent, all of us would do hypnosis, and I think so that's touch and go. There's only so many other um, approaches that work with the subconscious mind. If I found a newer approach other than EMDR that it worked, I'd go with that too. So I'm very open-minded that way. But EMDR works, and I, and I think there's a lot of reasons why it works. It's not something you can just learn from a book and, and go and do it because, you know, we go back into the psyche and how it works and why that's so important for clinicians to understand. And I think their clients, you're not really working with the adult who walks in the room. You're working with the 14-year-old uh, part mm -hmm. of them or the second year. And those parts are not going to be present in the room mm -hmm. um, if they don't feel a certain component. Yeah, if, they're not if, they're not if they're not comfortable, B, if they're not being asked the right questions. And a lot of times, you know, people, they just want to go in there and vent about their job or vent about this and that. And well, that's all well and good. I think there's a lot deeper causes to why they're venting or to why they're having a reason to feel a certain way and getting into the subconscious mind. I've obviously I've read most of our thoughts and actions, the way we act is part of the subconscious. So reprogramming that and helping to heal that is going to be a lot better. You're going to be a lot better off if you do the work versus like, if you're just like in the present moment, like just not really paying attention to the way you act and think, and you're just like, Oh, that's just the way I am. Well, if the way you are is hurtful to a lot of people, you're going to piss a lot of people off and not, and being very lonely and you're going to wonder why. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the same goes for how you feel about yourself. So EMDR, um, as I, like, what's the process look like? So the, you know, the whole goal is, you know, what, why I was going into the psych is with these, whenever we talk about these memories, it, we're talking about it from a conscious level of what we know. That's all of our logic but our logic isn't what um, we always believe. We believe what, what feels true is what we believe, not what we know to be true, and that's the problem. So we need to get that, that those bundles of data, those uh, particular memories, we need to be able to tap on those, pull them into the conscious mind so that we can reassess, well, wait a minute. Um, if I believe that I'm not in control, and I learned that maybe from this memory, Today, based as opposed to back when it happened, I may have not felt in control. But today, when I think about that memory, is that true today? Because today we have a completely different perspective, more wisdom, more, more knowledge, more tools. So it's like you, you reassess it from today. The problem is when we do that on our own, the conscious mind is going to resist that. So there we EMDR with the bilateral movements, depending on which route the therapist takes, Essentially, to put it simply, the bilateral movements are distracting the conscious mind while we have the client pull up mm. the material from their uh, subconscious mind to be able to reprocess it without the conscious mind stopping it. That's interesting. And I'm actually looking forward to kind of digging deeper on that because it's something, like I said, I've always wanted to try, always wanted to get into. So I want to spend like the last you know, 10 to 15 minutes of our interview talking about COVID, talking about the pandemic we're in right now, because one of the things that I'm actually very passionate about, I mean, it's just not just about my story, just because I have a lot of people, I mean, we all struggle with mental health. I mean, if you say you, your mental health is perfect, then you don't have a pulse, right? So like, I don't think that the mental health aspect of the quarantine is being talked about nearly enough for people. I don't see... There's not a lot of people either on the news or this or that, like being like, hey, like, these are some things you can do to cope with self-isolation. Here's some things you can do to cope with, you know, being in the same house with somebody who is toxic or here's some, or being, have, struggling with X, Y, and Z um, component of mental health and, and healing from that. So 
talk about like, I mean, there's a couple things I want to talk about. The first thing I guess is what, what issues are you running into now with, with seeing your patients who are struggling during the quarantine and what are some things that can be done to kind of be more proactive on the mental health side of things while people are kind of stuck at home? Well, you know, it's, it's been kind of like this flow right now where we're at is a lot of marriages are falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are feeling, um, the, the consistent is I feel Dr. Michaela extremely sad, depressed and overwhelmed. And I don't know why, mm-hmm. you know, and there's two components to why that's happening. One, this is bringing up a lot of, um, a lot of stuff from the subconscious, because remember every, anything that you're brain that's ongoingly scanning your current environment that associates to anything um, that you hold in your memory network, good or bad, is going to pull that information into it. So not only is it bringing up a lot of stuff for people that they're either aware or not aware of, but you also take just generally speaking, what quarantine, the effect that has on human beings, despite someone Mm. who has um, pre-existing conditions. And that's where, you know, just the isolation, especially for extroverts, causes, um, we're seeing acute stress disorder, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and insomnia, um, emotional eating. The outcome is going to be a lot more chemical dependency, um, emotional disturbance. Um, the suicide rate is, is up higher. And for those that have the pre-existing um, conditions or mental illness, the symptoms from the quarantine are going to last four to six months, if not longer after this. So, Mm. you know, with, with the research that I've been doing recently and just in my own work, the best way to get through this is a, I always, you know, what I'm telling a lot of the couples that probably had issues before this happened. It just brings everything to the surface. Just don't make any major decisions right now because Mm. you're not, your perception is skewed and you don't know for sure if what you're feeling or thinking is the truth ever. Um, so don't make any major decisions right now. Just put it on hold. And the best things that we can do to get through this right now is a, of course, do grounding exercises, techniques when we're present. Like what would you say? Like what's, what's ground, grounding techniques, like meditation, breath work, somatic stuff. Grounding is one. Yep. So a lot of people think they're present and they're not. Most people do. Um, think they're present, but you, you know, you figure if you're trying to meditate to get present where you think you are now, most people just aren't aware. So you can do things like, um, if you count back from a hundred by threes, Mm. um, you can't do math and not be present. Mm. Uh, You get down to to zero and then two times three, two times four, and then three times two, and you go up to do your times tables. Um, you can also do things like, um, if you just sit in your chair and look straight ahead, and just name all the things in the room that you're in that you can see in your peripheral vision, um, physical uh, exercise, things like that. You wanna just get present, get back into your body. That way at least you can trust your thought process a lot better. Cause we should always question our thoughts and our feelings always. Um, so the first thing is um, connecting with people because of the, just the general effects of quarantine. And connecting doesn't mean you've gotta be on the phone with someone you know, every single day or or this or that. It's when you feel an internal connection with, with people, which means you may not need to talk to them every day, but you know that um, you're in their minds, that you're in their hearts. That's why elderly people that don't talk to family every day, but they're close with them. That's why they live longer. So staying connected with people and practicing altruism, which is huge, um, has such an effect, not only on our brain, but our own healing process is also something that we ought to practice right now. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like you said, not making any decisions um, like right now, I think are, um, you know, it's true. Like you say, we shouldn't make, I mean, they say anyway, you should make any permanent decision when, when emotions are heightened anyway. And emotions right now are way heightened. You think everybody is like, seems to be on edge, right? No matter what. So if somebody had anxiety before their anxiety now is probably 10 X. If somebody had depression before it's probably 10, everything's like, like, you know, exacerbated right now because of the situation, because there's so many unknowns because we don't know when we're going to be allowed to do X, Y, or Z. I mean, I, I've just seen like a rise in people. Um, they're just very uncertain. They're very like, not sure what's going to go on. And it's like, and people are being tested right now. And 
I'm very thankful that I've done a lot of work on myself to be able to know that I've, I've kind of kept it even keel. I would say pretty good considering my, you know, my business got ripped out from underneath me with gyms being closed and, um, I've had to make different pivots, different shifts. I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm kind of an uh, extroverted introvert, if you know what I mean. Like, um, you know, I, I like my, my downtime. I like my, you know, taking like a 30-minute nap, you know, a few times a week. But I also like being out and, and talking to people. I like socializing. I'm a personal trainer, so I'm always c- communicating with my clients. And it's just finding more deeper ways to be connected. And, uh, um, and I, I'm seeing that there's a lot of people right now that are struggling even in their own home. Like, and maybe there's somebody that, 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 like, so like the one, the other thing I want to say is like, say somebody's in their home right now and they, they're with somebody who's toxic and it's somebody who they may be abusive or anything. Like I'm obviously, I'm not an expert in this, but I know that it's something that's probably very much a concern for a lot of people right now. So while I have you on here, I wanted to at least get your advice um, on that because there are a lot of people struggling like what, what kind of advice do you have other than calling the, the hotlines for people that are just stuck at home with somebody that they shouldn't really be in a home with? Well, I mean, if it's, if your you know, life is in danger or, you know, it's more physical threat than, you know, you obviously want to find a way to quarantine yourself in the home or, or do whatever right, right. In a different you know, place that you can isolate. But otherwise we need to resist our, um, that desire to want to get into those power struggles Mm. right now is not the time, you know, Mm. let them win. Um, uh, and just, you know, keep to yourself, just be kind. In other words, do everything you can. If you're, if one is able to not get engaged, don't get drawn in to the, you know, to the argument. Um, and, um, and just be patient and kind you know, and I think that's hard for a lot of people, especially when both people are really triggered, but that's why being, present as best as we can practicing whatever that's going to take helps us to have more control over those responses. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you kind of hit it spot on. It's like kind of having that altruistic view, like being like, okay, like no matter what, I'm just going to kill people with kindness. I'm just going to treat people the best way I can. And it's hard, especially right now, because wouldn't you agree? Like, I mean, everybody thinks like, when you hear the word like trigger or anything else, you think it's just, oh, those people must not be healthy. Healthy people get triggered all the time. Everybody does. Everybody, Everybody does. But, but, mo- but most people just won't admit it or they're not even aware of it because they haven't taken the time to even understand what it is. They just get angry and flip out and they think, oh, I was just mad. Mm-hmm. Like, no, something happened deeper that you haven't really worked on. And mm-hmm. so, we've, so we've talked about some strategies we can do, grounding co- uh, during covid being practicing self-awareness connection with others. Um, what other mo like kind of things can people do within their home to kind of improve their, their mental health? I mean, obviously exercise is something big. Um, but what other things do you have in your clients do? Um, whether it's journaling, being really mindful of their thoughts, um, and, and countering them. Um, and I think a lot of people give up on that because, you know, they'll say, well, but what I'm telling myself doesn't feel true. Do it anyway, because it's not going to feel true, because it's probably not a, a, a true belief. It's probably a negative belief. I mean, you figure we all, all of this stuff, you know, that we've been talking about, everybody gets triggered, dissociates, has negative and positive beliefs. You figure you've got those, any negative beliefs, then they're going to, they're going to also feed into um, how we we're responding or feeling right now, in addition to what's currently going on. So we, we want to counter those thoughts with the truth anyway. And, and be, you know, also remember, I mean, this is, this is what happens when we create these fantasies, which we all do the world, what, what people are becoming aware of is what has always been when we create these fantasies that we can avoid disappointments, that we can avoid loss, that the world is safe, um, that we ever had control or certainty over, over our lives to this extent, those are all, um, uh, distorted perceptions. It's not a truth nothing has really changed. We're just becoming more aware of what always has been. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And I think at the end of the day, the more we can kind of uh, just be, it's more about like mindfulness and awareness of who we are and some things that to do we need to do on a daily basis for us to be able to help like us navigate through this pandemic and just knowing that like we're all in this together. Like that's the, that's the kind of the, it's kind of the cool part, I guess, in a way, because 
if you think about it, I was having this conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, like it's like most people now, like as much as they're worried about money, they're like pretty open about being about struggling with money versus before if somebody lost their job, right. no one wanted to want to talk about it. Cause it would just be like a shot at them and their ego and everything. But now like, it's like everybody can just, well, COVID did it, the pandemic did. So it's like, we're, it's like, you're just seeing now how when we're met, when things happen in groups and impacts, it's a lot easier to open less, up, which is less shameful. Yes. It's less, I mean, it's less isolating. And, um, so I think like what you provided today was a lot of tons of great info. Like I'm, it's like, you know, just from your story, how you got into it to, uh, the whole therapy practice, EMDR, um, your advice for dealing with, with trauma and dealing with like the mind as well as, you know, that right now what we're dealing with, with COVID, I think people are going to need to like re-listen to this episode like five times because it's something that there's going to be a new emergence after this. There's going to be a lot of rise in mental, mental illnesses. There's going to be, I mean, the addiction. OCD is going to be big. OCD, addiction, alcoholism. Like you're seeing a rise of what I think somebody was saying the other day, 50% alcohol sales. Like you're going to, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be having to be unpacked after this. And if we're doing the work now, um, it'll be a lot less hard when we're getting through this. So I wanted to really thank you for taking your time to come on here. I know you're busy and you've got a full slated schedule. So I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. And, and if I could just, the last, you know, the last thing is it, these are the most powerful words in the world. And they're so simple mm. because remember, we're all a bunch of little kids running around in adult zip up suits technically. And the most powerful words is just hearing somebody say, everything is going to be okay. Yes. So powerful. And um, I think for, for all the listeners to just hear that and know that, and to pass that on, don't add a but or an and or, a, or with that being said, just everything is going to be okay. And you wouldn't believe the impact that has on people. Everything is going to be okay. And we've gotten through it so far. And I'm, I, and I think that at the end of the day, um, just those words can be very soothing no matter what you're going through. So Dr. Michaela, where can people find out more about you? Is it drmichaela.com? And then drmichaela.com, uh, my website, all about me on, on, on that site. They can also, um, Instagram is probably the social platform I'm on the most. Yes. And you're at Dr. Michaela. And then I will also plug your uh, TEDx talk, which so we can go in and, and people can learn more about what you do with DID and that sort of thing, because I think it's an important thing to talk about because we all have, we all have moments where we act out of character. And I think it's it helps everything makes sense. It helps us to know, Oh, I'm not really crazy. <laughs> I'm not going crazy. <laughs> right, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, please be sure, like I said, to listen to this one several times. Go check out Dr. Michaela, um, her information, her courses, her coaching, um, because she's helping a ton of people see things differently. So um, once again, uh, I wanted to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.